Book number eight, chapter three of Les Miserables. Translated by Isabel F. Hapgood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham Jolliffe. Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Book number eight, The Counterblow. Chapter three, Javert Satisfied. This is what had taken place. The half-hour after midnight had just struck, when Monsieur Madeleine quitted the hall of Assises in Arras. He regained his inn just in time to set out again by the mail-wagon, in which he had engaged his place. A little before six o'clock in the morning, he had arrived at montreux sur mer and his first care had been to post a letter to Monsieur Lafitte, then to enter the infirmary and see Fontaine. However, he had hardly quitted the audience hall of the court of Assises, when the district attorney, recovering from his first shock, had taken the word to deplore the mad deed of the Honourable Mayor of Montreuil-sur-Mer, to declare that his convictions had not been in the least modified by that curious incident, which would be explained thereafter, and to demand, in the meantime, the condemnation of that chant Mathieu who was evidently the real Jean Valjean. The district attorney's persistence was visibly at variance with the sentiments of everyone, of the public, of the court, and of the jury. The counsel for the defence had some difficulty in refuting this harangue, and in establishing that, in consequence of the revelations of Monsieur Madeleine, that is to say, of the real Jean Valjean, the aspect of the matter had been thoroughly altered and that the jury had before their eyes now only an innocent man. Thence the lawyer had drawn up some epiphonemas, not very fresh, unfortunately, upon judicial errors, etc., etc. The president, in his summing up, had joined the counsel for the defence, and in a few minutes the jury had thrown Jean Mathieu out of the case. Nevertheless, the district attorney was bent on having a Jean Valjean, and as he had no longer Champmathieu, he took Madeleine. Immediately after Champmathieu had been set at liberty, the district attorney shut himself up with the president. They conferred as to the necessity of seizing the person of Monsieur le Maire of Montreuil-sur-Mer. This phrase, in which there was a great deal of, is the district attorney's, written with his own hand, on the minutes of his report to the attorney-general. His first emotion having passed off, the President did not offer many objections. Justice must, after all, take its course. And then, when all was said, although the President was a kindly and a tolerably intelligent man, he was, at the same time, a devoted and almost an ardent royalist, and he had been shocked to hear the Mayor of Montreuil-sur-Mer say the Emperor, and not Bonaparte, when alluding to the landing at Cairns. The order for his arrest was accordingly dispatched. The district attorney forwarded it to Montreuil-sur-Mer by a special messenger, at full speed, and entrusted its execution to police inspector Javert. The reader knows that Javert had returned to Montreuil-sur-Mer immediately after having given his deposition. Javert was just getting out of bed when the messenger handed him the order of arrest and the command to produce the prisoner. The messenger himself was a very clever member of the police, 
who, in two words, informed Javert of what had taken place at Arras. The order of arrest, signed by the district attorney, was couched in these words. Inspector Javert will apprehend the body of the Sieur Madeleine, mayor of Montreuil-sur-Mer, who, in this day's session of the court, was recognised as the liberated convict Jean Valjean. Anyone who did not know Javert, and who had chanced to see him at the moment when he penetrated the antechamber of the infirmary, could have divined nothing of what had taken place, and would have thought his air the most ordinary in the world. He was cool, calm, grave, his grey hair was perfectly smoothed upon his temples, and he had just mounted the stairs with his habitual deliberation. Anyone who was thoroughly acquainted with him, and who had examined him attentively at the moment, would have shuddered. The buckle of his leather stock was under his left ear instead of at the nape of his neck. This portrayed unwanted agitation. Javert was a complete character, who never had a wrinkle in his duty or in his uniform, methodical with malefactors, rigid with the buttons of his coat. That he should have set the buckle of his stock awry, it was indispensable that there should have taken place in him one of those emotions which may be designated as internal earthquakes. He had come in a simple way, had made a requisition on the neighbouring post for a corporal and four soldiers, had left the soldiers in the courtyard, had had Fantine's room pointed out to him by the portress, who was utterly unsuspicious, accustomed as she was to seeing armed men inquiring for the mayor. On arriving at Fantine's chamber, Javert turned the handle, pushed the door open with the gentleness of a sick nurse or a police spy, and entered. Properly speaking, he did not enter. He stood erect in the half-open door, his hat on his head and his left hand thrust into his coat, which was buttoned up to the chin. In the bend of his elbow, the leaden hand of his enormous cane, which was hidden behind him, could be seen. Thus he remained for nearly a minute, without his presence being perceived. All at once, Fantine raised her eyes, saw him, and made Monsieur Madeleine turn around. The instant that Madeleine's glance encountered Javert's glance, Javert, without stirring, without moving from his post, without approaching him, became terrible. No human sentiment can be as terrible as joy. It was the visage of a demon who had just found his damned soul. The satisfaction of at last getting hold of Jean Valjean caused all that was in his soul to appear in his countenance. The depths having been stirred up mounted to the surface. The humiliation of having in some slight degree lost the scent, and of having indulged for a few moments in an error with regard to Champmathieu, was effaced by pride at having so well and accurately divined in the first place, and of having for so long cherished a just instinct. Javert's content shone forth in his sovereign attitude. The deformity of triumph overspread that narrow brow. All the demonstrations of horror which a satisfied face can afford were there. Javert was in heaven at that moment. Without putting the thing clearly to himself, but with a confused intuition of the necessity of his presence and of his success, he, Javert, personified justice, light, 
and truth in their celestial function of crushing out evil. Behind him and around him, at an infinite distance, he had authority, reason, the case judged, the legal conscience, the public prosecution, all the stars. He was protecting order. He was causing the law to yield up its thunders. He was avenging society. He was lending a helping hand to the absolute. He was standing erect in the midst of a glory. There existed in his victory a remnant of defiance and of combat. Erect, haughty, brilliant, he flaunted abroad in open day the superhuman bestiality of a ferocious archangel. The terrible shadow of the action which he was accomplishing caused the vague flash of the social sword to be visible in his clenched fist. Happy and indignant, he held his heel upon crime, vice, rebellion, perdition, hell. He was radiant. He exterminated. He smiled. And there was an incontestable grandeur in this monstrous Saint Michael. Javert, though frightful, had nothing ignoble about him. Probity, sincerity, candour, conviction, the sense of duty are things which may become hideous when wrongly directed, but which, even when hideous, remain grand. Their majesty, the majesty peculiar to the human conscience, clings to them in the midst of horror. They are virtues which have one vice, error. The honest, pitiless joy of a fanatic in the full flood of his atrocity preserves a certain lugubriously venerable radiance. Without himself suspecting the fact, Javert in his formidable happiness was to be pitied, as is every ignorant man who triumphs. Nothing could be so poignant and so terrible as this face, wherein was displayed all that may be designated as the evil of the good. End of book number eight, chapter three, recording by Graham Jolliffe, Kyogle, Australia.